Maggie. Anna. Guess what? What? Center stage this weekend. What's happening? A very exciting play, The A-Train. I'm very excited about this. This was a United Solo Fest play in New York. Mm-hmm. It is it been, won. It won. Fest. It won. It has New York awards behind it. Yeah. And this is going to be, and it, it was born here in Santa Barbara. And then it evolved to the New York stages, and now it's coming back. And everyone should see it. I don't know why you don't have tickets already. Because I'm leaving town. But (laughs) I was talking about the royal you. The royal, I don't know either. Get them while they last. Yes, definitely. We got Saturday night. We got Sunday night. Take the A train. Take the A train by Anne Torsiglieri. Fantastic. Let's talk to him. I'm pretty excited about our guest today. Tell me about who we have on the pod. We have Risa Brainin who works at UCSB as a professor. Excellent. And Anne Torsiglieri, who is an actor and, in this case, a playwright for the show we're going to talk about. And she also teaches as a professor at UCSB. This is going to be an excellent lineup, and I'm very excited to hear about your ladies' experience with this show. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So... When is this show coming to town and where is it playing and all that? So the show is called A-Train and it's directed by Risa and with music by Brad Carroll, designed by Michael Clares. And it will be this weekend, Saturday, October 20th and Sunday, October 21st at 7.30 at Center Stage at Paseo Nuevo. And we hope folks will come. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they will. I'm dying to see it. And um, what should folks expect to see when they... What's it about? What are? Well, it's about our family's journey in the world of autism, uh, which sounds like a laugh riot, doesn't it? <laughs> but, it's a comedy. But, believe it or not, it actually it is, is a comedy. So. It is a comedy. Um, because, you know, what's funnier than the truth, mm-hmm. really? So it's sort of steeped in the truth uh, of our journey. Of course, the names are changed, except for our beloved dog. His name stays the same. Everybody else's names are changed. And what to expect? Well, you can expect um, my own personal uh, kind of sharing of our journey and the emotional ups and downs of that and the the fears and the celebrations and the Mm -hmm. changes that have happened to me over the course of understanding autism and trying to be a good mom to my son. Mm -hmm. And you can expect me to embody various characters who I have interviewed, transcribed their words, and become them. So some of those people Mm. are people who identify as autistic themselves. Some of them are professionals in the world of autism, scientists, doctors, etc. Some are teachers, some are parents. Um, And you can expect a lot of sassy songs by Brad Carroll. Um, (laughs) And you can expect a lot of f bombs. So uh-huh. great, uh-huh. Um, but all all meant with celebrating the humor that is very necessary to tell this story. So I don't know how I could tell the story without the f bombs. Yeah. So in terms of com- <laughs> in terms of uh, creating this story, and as you said, you created it from your own experience. What? How did you first get the idea to make a? Uh, you know, to represent this creatively, and then how, what was, uh, you know, how did it start, and where did it go from there? How did you create this piece? Well, way back when I lived in New York City, um, which is before we moved here, about 10 years ago, 
um, I had the idea of telling this story because, you know, as artists, right, we try to channel what we know and what we're struggling with into our art. I mean, hopefully that's, I think, the most interesting kind of art. And so this has been something I've been struggling with. So I sort of said, when uh, I can get my act together in terms of the rest of my life, i.e. parenting and all that stuff, I'm going to I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to it's going to be a one person show. That was my initial thought Mm -hmm. Uh, that changed over the course of the story. I'll tell you in a bit. But um, so I started kind of jotting down thoughts and stuff. Then when we moved to Santa Barbara um, and it kind of was like, okay, now's the time to create this story. I wrote a couple grants, some of which I didn't get, some of which I got, and I started interviewing people, um, local people and faraway people, and a lot of went to a lot of autism conferences. Hmm. Risa, who is a dear friend and colleague, was sort of like, well, maybe I can be a part of this journey with you. And she has been so generous. I like to joke that if it was not for Risa, this would be a, a pile of papers in my drawer. <laughs> you know, about 500 pages of paper in my drawer. And so Risa came on board and under the auspices of her wonderful Launchpad program, which she started and developed and runs at UCSB, she joined in on the, the journey and we've been developing it since then. So it's been several years where kind of because our lives are so busy, we would work two weeks a year and then not touch it Hmm. for another year and Mm -hmm. then work two more weeks and then not touch it for another year. And so then we got Brad uh, Carroll on board. He's written the the music. And then Michael Clares is our designer. And little by little, we kind of just pushed that train, proverbial train up the hill. Yeah. A couple couple fun little anecdotes along the way. So I think the first kind of workshop we did was up at Liz Engelman's, right? Uh, Liz Engelman has a, a retreat, an artist retreat in northern Minnesota, and she invited us up there. And Michael Bernard, Annie's husband, and Annie and I went up for a, a long weekend. And at that point, Annie, you just had reams of material, mm. some of which was her own story, and a lot, most of which was other people, the interviews. Yeah. Right? Hours and hours, hours and hours and, and hours, hours wow. and hours. And um, and so we sat up there in the woods with a lot of mosquitoes <laughs> and tried to talk about, you know, wh- how, to, how to focus some of that material. And what I was so struck by was Annie had written two or three monologues that were her story. And I and Liz and I were both like, that's the core. That's the mm-hmm. core. It has to be about you. Yeah. And and all these other interviews are wonderful and let's incorporate them, but it, the core needs to be your story. And then I think did we go to the Lark after that? Yes, we did we a reading the at the Lark. In New York City. And that's one of my favorite stories <laughs> because Annie was sitting there with all the material and we were at a round table reading and we had some very smart people in the room listening. And you can go from here. Well, just there was so much material from these interviews. And as I was going and I had, you know, a pile of papers, I'd be like, and now, da, da, da. And I'd be like, no, boring, cutting that. Mm -mm." Mm. And then I would turn the page and I'd go, and now, oh, no, cutting that. Mm -mm." Mm -hmm. So I just, because I got just so tired of hearing myself talk. And I was like, nobody else is going to want to hear me talk either. (laughs) So as we were doing it, I was just putting slashes through pages. And even at that point, it was still like four hours. It was long. And, th- and then we, th- I think the next phase of it was we took it to st- our summer reading series in Launchpad. Oh, yes. And what was kind of great about that, at that point, Annie was 
not positive it should be a one-person show. And we said, okay, well, why don't you come on board as a writer for this this 20-hour workshop, which we do with um, our students in the summer. We do three plays over three weeks, and each play gets a 20-hour workshop, professional writer. And sometimes we'll bring in guest professional guest artists to act. In this case, we had, I think, eight students. We had or yes, seven students, and like we that. had one graduate student, um, Blythe uh, not Blythe Danner. <laughs> <laughs> Blythe Danner was our guest star. It's unbelievable, she was people. Fabulous. But uh, Blythe Foster, right. who, who played Annie, uh-huh. and then oh, the see. rest of the actors played oh. the ensemble. That's oh, okay. when we brought Brad into the picture. He wrote right. some songs, and we did it as an ensemble piece, and and that was terrific. And Annie, I think that was great for you as a writer, right? I just, just watched. Just yeah, to watch and acting. listen. Mm-hmm. And then the next incarnation we did with Annie acting in it, but still with an ensemble of five other people playing all the other parts, oh, singing right. the songs, backup singers. Mm-hmm. And I think it was after that workshop that you really felt like, you know, it should be a one-person show, right? Yeah, well, I've always gone back and forth. And, you know, the big dream is to someday in order to share this more fully with the world, uh, license it and have a version that's a one-person show version and have a version that's a 300-person show version Mm. that, you know, schools and universities Mm. and community groups can do as they see fit with five people or 20 people and a chorus of dancers and whatever they want. Just to sort of put it out there and that there are many ways to tell this story. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And the most recent iteration of this was at the United Solo Festival in New York. How? What was that experience Correct. like? Correct. Well, uh, we did it last fall, and it was just a joy. The day that we did our first performance was the very first run-through we ever did. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Talk about flying by the seat of your pants. Because I kept doing rewrites, and, you know, we were all uh-huh. very busy. And sure. Um, We're still doing rewrites, by the way. We're trying out a lot of new material okay. this weekend. This weekend, oh, yeah, wow. some of which I was trying to memorize on the way over here. <laughs> oh. I was like, "Oh, what happens next?" And well, then what? I was thinking, not to interrupt the New York story, but I was thinking when you said, uh, "You know, you you kept writing it over time." It's like the the life cycle of your family, and it just keeps going. So your son keeps developing and changing. Your own experience keeps changing. It's like a book that's not going to mm. end. It's a performance that right. will, well, can, could go on. Yes, absolutely. And at this point, the story itself actually stops when the boys are about seven. Mm. They're 14 now in real life. And I joke about there will be a sequel to this called, of course, B-Train. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is, there's, there'd be too much in terms of the, the arc of the character um, and the arc of the family to keep incorporating the new stuff because now they're 14, they're in puberty. Yeah. It's, it's like right. a whole different play now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk, we'll talk. The, it's a lot to encompass. <laughs> yes. So this, this, but, but that doesn't mean my perspective hasn't yeah. changed with these years. It yeah. certainly has. And yeah. clarified what story I want to tell and mm-hmm. what journey the characters go on, yeah. certainly. Yeah, interesting. But so back to so New, York. New York. So we... Um, Ended up having a really wonderful time at United Solo last fall. We were the, I mean, to toot our own horn for a minute, right, Risa? We were the top-selling show of the festival, which wow. was amazing. And we won Best Production of the, the Festival, which was felt really great to feel like, wow, this is 
you know, so often you tell a story that's important to you, but other people are like, that's nice. <laughs> right. But it doesn't Don't resonate care. with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's was- a five for a dinner party <laughs> at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it felt great to feel, um, yeah, you know, this is a story that people need to hear. And because it's so personal to me in terms of what I would like the world to understand about autism yeah. and kind of have some paradigm shifts in people's minds and hearts about autism, I feel really happy that it had um, a kind of, you know, a, a nice reception there. Yeah. And then we went back this year and did it again. And we just did uh, three shows there, which was great. And in, in the interim, we went to the Skirball Center in mm. L.A., Skirball Cultural oh, Center, yeah. did one performance there. And we were invited to the Playmakers Repertory Company in uh, North Carolina for about 10 days, and we did six or seven performances. That was incredible because we added a set and lights, things oh. that we really didn't have. The United Solo yeah. Festival, the venue is very small. And basically the play can be done with a chair and an, and an easel, which pretty much will be it when you see it um, this weekend, and some lights. But we were able to experiment with more design there, and that was wonderful. We also had these talkbacks after every performance. They had panels of people from parents uh, of autistic children to uh, teachers, professionals, people who work with autistic kids. And it was the conversations were really quite moving. And you start to see that almost everyone has some connection to yeah. autism in some way. They know someone in their life. Yeah. And it's um, to, to be able to have those kinds of conversations in a, in a safe environment. I thought that was a wonderful week. Yeah, absolutely. And we were pretty brave. I think we made changes every single show. We did. And, you know, I mean, as a performer, right, it's kind of flying by the seat of your pants to be writing it and then looking at it in the dressing room as you're getting ready and then be like, okay, here we go. Let's see if I, which is how I feel about this weekend. So we'll see what (laughs) happens. But I also want to say to your point, Risa, is that um, my hope is that really as much as a story about autism, which it is definitely, I think I'm hoping it's more universal than that. And it's actually a story about anybody trying to understand how to find happiness. And it's a lot about recalibrating what we think happiness needs to be, what we think our life needs to look like to call it happy. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps um, there's some wiggle room there in (laughs) order to become a little more evolved Mm -hmm. about how one can have a happy life. So there's a metaphor that runs through it about being Zen. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that's, I, I'm hoping it speaks to people beyond yeah. the autism world. And it is told with great humor. And so it, even though the, the subject matter can be serious at times and is, but it's very funny. And of course, I can toot Annie's horn. Well, she's an, a brilliant performer, and so yeah. being in the room... I'm paying her. <laughs> but not much. <laughs> not much. Double my salary. Um, but but being in the room with, with Annie, uh, and that's been such a joy for me as a director, too. Uh, she inspires me every day as a writer and an actor. And Thank and you. Really. I mean, it's just Sucka. so much fun. <laughs> now, as, a, as directing a one-person show that the performer wrote i mean yes. what where is what is your input on this what are you exactly mm. moving around and what is are it, you yeah that's it's a, a more a good, dramaturgical a really or more great 
question. This is the second time I've done something like this. I did a play called That Wonder Boy uh, with Bob Stromberg, who wrote it. So I, this is it. It's wonderful to do. I think what's interesting is when am I talking to the actor and mm. when am I talking mm. to the writer? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we like to separate those two things. Sometimes Risa will say, well, here, let's look at the script. The writer wrote <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I'll say, oh, Don't well, care. the writer just changed that. <laughs> yeah, so we have a lot of fun. But I think there is a lot of dramaturgical conversation. We have a ton of dramaturgical conversation yes. throughout. And then there's acting, you know, and really... Um, I think sometimes it's for it. My, um, my eye is there to be able to say to Annie, well, I know what you're trying to accomplish here and let's look at the act, the acting of it. And how do you contrast sometimes, you know, the writing and the acting. So some of the things we've been calibrating, like how, how emotional does a, does a moment get, you know, when does it, when is it emotional for, for Annie? When should it be more emotional for the audience right. and how to, to measure that um and of course the staging but everything is it's been a, a true collaboration all in every every aspect i'd say because there's we're even in thinking about the set it was the kind of thing where annie would say well i've always imagined this on a subway platform and mm. then michael going okay how will we do that mm. and him coming up with something and all of us going yeah that looks great and so it's it's much very much collaboration did that answer your question yeah no definitely i love it yeah. now on the other side of that yeah for you, and not just in terms of working with the director, but also, uh, like you were talking about, doing a production in which Blythe played your character or licensing it to someone else to let, where is, do you have issue with uh, how personal it is and giving part of it away? How do you feel about that? Well, it's definitely personal. I mean, it's absolutely personal. I mean, all writing is personal, but I think this is particularly because it is pretty much our story. Right. Um... And yet I feel when the time is right, I'll be happy to have other actors play the role if that's going to get it out there. I mean, someone recently was, you know, I was brainstorming about how to proceed and they were like, well, you got to get a star to play the part. How would you feel about that? I was like, great, (laughs) bring it on. I mean, I have no problem with that if that helps get the story out there, because really what I want to do with the piece is do some good. You know, and it's not going to do any good if it's just we're doing it for ourselves in a rehearsal room. You know, it needs to be out there. So, And specifically when you say you wanted to do some good, what good are you talking about specifically? Well, I think there are a lot of stereotypes about autism and a lot of um, preconceptions about what that journey is like for the families and most especially for people who are autistic themselves. Uh, and I think that there's a deeper conversation that needs to happen. And just as, you know, years ago, people started to need to push to have conversations about whether it was way back when divorce or cancer or, you know, um, different kinds of gender identity. This is a conversation that hasn't happened as deeply as I would like about what is it like to live a life in the world of neurodiversity? Um, what is it like to be a parent? What is it like to fear for your child? What is it like to struggle to know how to help your child in a world that seems to, for me as an autism mom, have very clear camps about some people saying, this is the way to do it, and whatever you do, don't do that. And the other camp says, no, 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 whatever you do, don't do what they're telling you, do what we're telling you to. 
And there's so much animosity in the autism world. Um, it seems like, you know, if they could just <laughs> talk to each other, then maybe we could get some more stuff done. Um, my play examines, in the latter part of the play, two extremes, which I call the two camps. Uh, one is the tamp camp that I call uh, celebration, and the other camp that I call catastrophe. Hmm. And that often people feel very committed to one or the other identification with autism, and they want you to choose a side. And there's no wiggle room in a lot of people's minds about that, um, which is surprising given the fact that autism is not one thing. It's a spectrum. And, you know, as I say in the play and as people quote widely, you know, you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. Hmm. It's not one set of features or, um, you know, challenges mm -hmm. or gifts. So I just want to get the conversation going. And I think uh, given the feedback I've gotten from people, especially in the world of autism, that I think this play could be good for people with autism. And of course, I want, selfishly, I want the, the world to be a more welcoming place for yeah, my son. And sure. not only my son, but other people as well. That's what I was going to add, that I think that so much of what the play does for people who don't have any experience with autism, it's about empathy and empathy for any other, you know, and right. which we, boy, we need that now more than mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not just yeah. autism. It's right. yeah. empathy for the Anyone other is a great way of saying it. Yeah. And th yeah, and there's a lot of fear, too. Like, um, I think when people, unfortunately, when they think about disabilities as a as a thing, that there's a lot of infantilization that goes on there of, of the person. Um, also, like, a lot of making that person angelic and mm. uh, in their minds, anyway. And then if there are elements of that person that disrupt those notions mm -hmm. uh it's troubling or in the case of autism you can't just look at someone and say oh that person is on the spectrum you you know you well you'd have to be very well trained but um but then people are less likely to be empathetic about the challenges that person's facing with mm. certain things about the world that are you know the great against them in a way that don't great against many of us. Mm -hmm. uh, so anything, yeah, anything you can do to make that empathy widespread mm -hmm. or, or glanced upon. Yeah, I would love to see the world become more embracing. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that a lot of that comes from knowledge and information. I think that right. a lot of people just don't have information. It's actually kind of shocking to me what people say about not just like the autism community or other, but other communities. People just have total misinformation yeah. that creates, as you said, this weird fear about it. So yeah. or denial. I've I've seen I've seen a lot of parents that won't acknowledge that their child is on the spectrum or mm. they just don't want to say that word or they don't wanna it's which is like fine, but you know, you have a kind of window to make good interventions. And you, if you spend a lot of time pushing against a wall, that's 
I don't know. It, there's a lot to fix. I guess that's the <laughs> bottom line of what I'm saying. Yeah. And theater, like literature, like a lot of arts, is is drives empathy in a way that, sure. that one other hopes. art forms don't. One hopes. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, have you either of you gotten any pushback on any aspect of this play as you've performed it? Um, I wouldn't say pushback. I would say one question that's been asked of me, and... People have said, has your son, my son who is on the spectrum, has he seen it? Hmm. And my answer to that is no, not at this point. He will see it someday. The reason being is that this play grapples with a lot of the tough issues around not only autism, but around my um, fears and anxieties in the early days. And we have really framed for him his autism as a positive and primarily just a difference. So we have not really, you know, shed that perspective on it for him. And so I think he would be confused sure. to see how we talk about it in the play and might be kind of shook up by that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. But for the most part, most people afterwards are very... Um, especially people in the world of autism, have been very grateful. And uh, that sounds weird to say, but they're happy that somebody is talking about this. And they've been happy to see that somebody gets what they've gone through. And uh, there's been tremendous support and outreach from the autism community and from other parents as well, and even people who are not parents, just sort of saying this has spoken to them and shed some light on some things and stuff. So, yeah, I'm very excited to see it this weekend. I've heard so much buzz from everyone in the community. Oh, oh, yes. that's, that's just, you know, from me, like I'm going with Charles Donnellan and we're very excited. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so we'll great, see you on great, Sunday. Great. 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 Wonderful. Yeah. Um, I want one ask one more question. Do it. Though. Uh, you can ask 10 oh, more questions. Oh, Anna. This sorry. is our podcast. We can do whatever <laughs> we want. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I have 10. Uh, in my experience, actors have to really get creative and, and directors when it's a one person show because <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. hard. <laughs> Your elements are limited. Yeah, yeah, right. It is challenging. Yes. Uh, it's a huge hmm. line load for some, you know, probably not for you so much, Annie, but for some, if they're picking oh, it, it up, it's if they're <laughs> picking it up and then, you know, three weeks from now we're doing this. Um, so what kind of, how do you, how do you, uh, I suppose there are other people to kind of step into their shoes, characters you portray and that, or what, what have you done to kind of give it more texture and get like, what were some of those challenges like? Well, I'm kind of a weirdo and I sort of just embraced my inner freak. And just, if I had, uh, an impulse about something I wrote about it. So we have a song called Suck It the Fuck Up, for example. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't, you know, edit. I mean, that's a plus or a minus, depending on how you look at it. But I think for an artist that that's great. And so I've really kind of tried to, if I had an instinct about something that seemed like a good idea. And of course, Risa has been so encouraging. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, I've needed her to edit me because I will just could be a 12 hour show with me just being a freak. Um, So it kind of 
uh, that's the kept, Burning Man edition. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's kept, kept trying to sort of push the envelope and yeah. be like, what lines, you know, let's walk up to the line and then let's cross the line. Yeah. Um, that's what I like to do. So we'll see if that comes across. I, I hope it does. I think um, from a from a practical standpoint, so our first performance was in a really tiny space mm. at, this, at the United Solo Festival. And then when we went to Playmakers, we had a much larger space. So we could really explode it out a little bit right. in terms of blocking and, and just having Annie inhabit characters in a more physical way. Because the other problem with the United Solo Festival, the rake of the house is such that you can't sit down no. without no. suddenly disappearing. Oh, <laughs> and so it was like, okay, well, you can't really sit down there, but but then when we did it uh, at Playmakers and we and we had uh, Annie inhabiting in a, in a bigger physical way, then when we went back to the United Solo Festival, I thought that really was interesting to pull it back into the small st- mm. space. But we were able to figure out ways that she could still embody the character, and I think that helps so that you don't, you know, so that you really feel like you're on a journey with many people, right? Right, because um, everyone in the autism community who's a parent knows you you work with uh, so many people, <laughs> you know, one child, and, and, you know, it's not uncommon to be in contact with 12 people at one time, maybe 13, maybe 15 at different levels. So that, I mean, that's just not including the people who are maybe more peripheral to that person's development and care. Yes, so. and there's a whole section um, for those of us who are in the uh, world of autism that deals with navigating the educational system yeah. and mm-hmm. a song that kind of talks about some of the challenges of IEP land. Oh, God. That is a comic, <laughs> a comic song, let's just put it that way. And the IEP... For people who don't know, <laughs> in your life education plan, yeah. yeah, it's a bureaucracy <laughs> yes. jungle. Yes, <laughs> it is, and it's also uh, something I noticed about IEPs is that you know the resources are not really there to do what mm. they're supposed to do. So instead of the children that need the most getting the most, the parents who are the most forceful and persistent their children get more of what they need um, Anna you're gonna like this song whenever you do come <laughs> <laughs> well I'm glad someone can put these things to music <laughs> they need to be put into song I know Maggie something our podcast uh, listeners don't know you have fetching spectacles why thank you why you're welcome let me tell you all about them did you get them at okiali i did get them at okiali who is the sponsor of today's episode okiali is santa barbara's exclusive distributor for top international eyewear designers it's true and they're in santa barbara and montecito Occhiali, which means eyeglasses in Italian, has become a sensational presence in Santa Barbara since it opened in 1988. It's true. They are a staple here in town. And if you want spectacular lenses. Spectacles. Spectacles that are spectacular. Spectacular spectacles. Go see Irwin and Sally Eve over at Occhiali. They combine high fashion awareness with prescriptive expertise. So they will absolutely find you the right 
lenses, get them all aesthetically, aesthetically like right you can for your see eyes with them. It's going to be perfect. No glare. All the glare is gone. They have nationally acclaimed staff that will fit you with a perfect frame to express your own individual style. All right. Go there. Well, what is the what is the future for this? We're doing it at Center Stage this weekend, which is going to be exciting. That'll bring it to back to the Santa Barbara community. Yes. But what what comes after that? Well, we have a lot of hopes and dreams with it. As I said, I really want to get it out there. We will be in the process of talking to hopefully regional theaters, more theaters in and out of New York City, sort of all over the country, um, looking for the right fit to produce this um you know well I, I look i'm dreaming big i want an off-broadway run yeah i want a netflix special why yeah. not if yeah, i'm dreaming there you go and then you know down the road licensing and touring and all that good stuff but you know if if you know maggie of people who want to have always wanted to produce a meaningful show mm. off-broadway let me know Right. <laughs> and that's idea. for our listeners as well. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to there. San Diego. Do you want to talk about the San Diego? Mm. I think you should go All right. It. We're going <laughs> to do uh, a reading of the play in San Diego with the Old Globe Theater mm-hmm. via um, a new Community Voices initiative they're having. They're having readings uh, at various libraries throughout San Diego. So that's going to happen in November. And then we will be doing a run of it in um, a wonderful small theater in Hartford, Connecticut, called Heartbeat. That'll be the end of February. And then we have hopeful performances down the road with with other places. But that's what we know for now. But we're, you know, trying to just push push the train down the track. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, it's fascinating. I can't wait to see thank it you for this weekend. You. Yes. Yeah, and our website, just in case oh, yeah, people want to check it out, is atrainthetheplay.com, A-T-R-A-I-N, theplay.com. Perfect. And we will also we'll have all that, that information on our website, and yeah. we will post about it on our social we'll, media we'll so that you it. can all go see the show Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Thank you so much, you Thank guys. you, guys. Thank, thank you, you too. Thank you. Risa Brainin, director, and Nitro Siglieri, the writer and performer for A Train, showing this weekend only Saturday and Sunday, 7:30 at Center Stage. And this is an award-winning, New York award-winning play that was conceived and developed in Santa Barbara, coming back to Santa Barbara. So everyone should definitely go and Get see it. A ticket. And this is a benefit for Hidden Wings, right. which is an enrichment program in Solvang for people on the autism spectrum, young people. Yeah, so it's yeah. a it's a good Enriching cause. Their lives. Yeah. So and it's a great place. So definitely go see it and go support our local artists. <laughs>